Right, Kia ora Koto, Central Vineyard. Uh, you'll have to excuse my voice. Um, I've had that bug that's going around, so if I start fitting, coughing, just I'm, I'm actually all right. Um, no need to jump in and, and intervene. But it does mean the voice is husky. I'm trying to tell Leash it's sexy, but she doesn't really think so. Um, but anyway, hey, I know a lot of you may be sitting there thinking, now, he doesn't usually speak, and you're actually right. I'm, um, I'm the worst case scenario situation. <laughs> this, this is when Dan and Leash can't do it. No one else on the team can do it. All the guest speakers have been exhausted. There's nothing good to watch on YouTube. They, um, they gingerly tap me on the shoulder and then immediately start praying and fasting. <laughs> um, so, Tay, hey, just please come back next week. Uh, if this isn't your cup of tea, uh, that, that's fine. Just think of it as a guest speaker. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're in safe hands. Uh, I'm one of the co-leaders here at Central Vineyard, for those that don't know. I, I'm, I'm the one that doesn't work on the team. I work, I work at school, I'm a school teacher. So I teach intermediate age kids. I lead a team out there, about 140 kids. Sharice, I saw you here, I work with Sharice as well. We work at the same school, it's an amazing school, uh, doing amazing things for Māori Pacifica community. So that's what I spend my, my days doing. Um, I do all this just for fun, volunteer work. Um, what I'm sharing today, I, I shared about two and a half years ago when we were in the middle of the lockdown phases and we were meeting at community hall in the various levels. We had limitations and all that. So if you've heard this talk, uh, I, I'm sorry. You're going to hear it again. Uh, no doubt you've memorized it all, applied it to your life. It's been a life-changing event for you. So if that is you, feel free to switch off or, or better still just Approach it like you would a rerun of Friends. No doubt you'll find something to sort of latch on to or something you didn't see the first time around. Hey, would you, would you stand for me with us as we read the word uh, teaching text for today? The teaching text comes from Philippians. Were you, was I the only one who, when growing up, thought Philippians was Philippines? Was there anyone else? Good. Thank you, honesty. I, I thought it was Philippines, and that makes sense, but it's not. It's Philippians. Uh, it's Philippians 4, 10 to 20. It says this, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do nothing through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were, were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought the, you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this, even when, when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Now, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. 
Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for us today. And together we say, Very good. Take your seats. In 2011, Alicia and I, we went on the obligatory OE over to the UK. We had no jobs to go to. We had nowhere to live. We had no plans. Our plan was to arrive and see what happens. We managed to hook up some accommodation with some friends of my sister. We stayed with them in London for two weeks. But then this opportunity came up to, to move to Bristol to house sit a house um, of a couple that we knew in New Zealand. So we, we head off to Bristol because we've got no plans, we've got no jobs. So as we arrived in Bristol, we, we didn't know whether we're gonna, we, we were going to be long term. So we thought, well, it may be Bristol. So we went about trying to find a church community. Now, finding a church community sucks, doesn't it? It's really hard to find a church community shopping around. But we had, um, we had a bit of an insight from some Kiwi friends of ours who said, go check out this church called Aardvark. Such a weird name, eh? Aardvark. That's like a fancy name for an anteater. Anyway, this church called Aardvark. So despite the weird name, uh, we went and checked it out. We found the location of the church. It looked like a church. But you know when you arrive at CV, you see people, you'll see cars, you'll see open doors, you'll see flags. None of that was evident at this church. It was just literally a closed church building. So we were like, well, this is meant to be the place. So we walked up to the door. We knocked on the door because we arrived late. You know, you arrive late when you're checking out something new because you don't want to be the first one sitting there with, with no one around you. So we arrive a little bit late, knock on the door, open the door, and to our surprise, we see about 30 people sitting in a circle facing each other. And they look at us like this. We didn't know whether, we, whether we'd walked into a church or some sort of AA meeting or some sort of like cult ritual that was going on. We had no idea. And they got a shock to see us. It wasn't until we said, hey, is, is this a church? Is this Aardvark? That they were like, oh, yes, yes it is. Come, 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 come. And so we went in. They, they were obviously not used to getting new people. <laughs> they were equally as surprised to see us. Straight after that first gathering, we were invited home for dinner by another couple, similar age to us in the church. They had a couple of kids. And over the next few months, that couple and others within the community, they embraced us like we were family. They shared their belongings with us. There was a, there was a girl there that had an amazing $4,000 Loudon guitar. If you know guitars, they're phenomenal. She let me borrow it. Uh, they gave us money because they knew we didn't have jobs. And they even invited us to their family Christmas. Now, Alicia and I have grown up in the church and been involved in a couple of churches before but this was our first time in our adult lives where we actually felt like we were part of a community and had a sense of belonging, a place of belonging. Uh, eventually we left Bristol because Alicia got a job in London, but this experience of community was life-changing and it set us on a trajectory to where we are today. I really don't think we would be here at Central Vineyard if it wasn't for those people um, at Bristol. This idea, um, this idea of community, what they shared with us, is what I want to explore with us this morning. Hence the title, Flourishing in Community. 
The passage we read from Philippians was, was written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Philippians, located in Philippi. Is this going to work? It is. So Philippi is right up the top there in ancient, uh, ancient Greece. So it was written to the church of Philippi. And people are unsure, but Paul, well, Paul was writing it from prison. They were unsure whether he was imprisoned in Ephesus, which is straight down the bottom, or whether he was imprisoned in Rome. Regardless of where he was writing it from, he was in prison, and it's clear to see it's quite a, a while away. Sorry, I lost my place here. Now the prisons, um, the prison Paul was in was not like the ones we have today. So prisoners, inmates in today's prisons, they get cared for by the government or the prison provider, the, the private entity that's running it. All their needs, their health is taken care of by that entity. In those days, the prisoners' needs were taken care of by friends and family. If you were unlucky to not have friends and family to support you, you would literally just die in chains. No one would feed you. No one would tend to you. You would just die. Pretty nasty, right? Pretty brutal. So we've got the church in Philippi, and we have Paul in prison in either Ephesus or Rome. We know that the church of Philippi supported Paul financially on a number of occasions. We know from that reading that no other church did this. And we know that the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to support Paul. Um, this is, I'll have to go back a bit. This is uh, uh, Philippine now. This is what it looks like these days. Have I missed out another one? No, go back. Okay. All right. From the content and tone of the passage that I read, as with the rest of Philippians, it's clear to see that Paul is right into a community that has great affection for him. And he has great affection for you can see his fondness for him throughout the whole letter. You would easily be mistaken to think he was writing to his own personal family, his wife and kids. Here's a couple of other verses to highlight. The first one, one to eight. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to, uh, to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. Verses like this are littered throughout the whole of Philippians. Imagine you received a letter and in that letter was that first line, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. You'd be like, oh, <laughs> that's a bit odd. <laughs> Like, are they hitting on me? Like, it, it's intense, right? But, but the whole letter is. Paul is part of a community, a church, where there is mutual affection for one another. There is a reciprocal nature to their relationship. It isn't one way. Paul brought the Philippians a gospel, and they took care of his needs. And for me, the book of Philippians, it paints a beautiful picture of what a stunning community of faith could look like. And it serves as a bit of a benchmark for us here at CV. N.T. Wright, he says, the letter to the Philippians has been categorized as a letter of friendship or a family letter, but might properly be called a letter of fellowship. Fellowship has to do with a genuine partnership, mutual giving and receiving. 
and a commitment to shared goals won from shared resources. Now, if you're anything like me, when you hear the word fellowship, something inside you goes, ah, it's a little bit cringy. Um, kind of like, so I have a similar reaction to the word moist. It's one of, for me, it's one of those words, right? Fellowship. And I think for me, it probably comes from, from attending far too many church potluck lunches after church, where without a doubt, every single time the person saying grace would say, Lord, thank you for this time of fellowship. It's an odd word. It's an old word that you only really ever see in Christian circles or Lord of the Rings. All right. So in order to take N.T. Wright's word seriously, I went searching for some alternatives. And the good news is that I found some. In the Maori culture, there are two principles that capture this idea of fellowship, of genuine partnership, mutual giving and receiving beautifully. They are whanaungatanga and manaakitanga. Let's try to say them, eh? Whanaungatanga and manaakitanga. Very good. So whanaungatanga, this is all about relationship kinship, a sense of connection, a sense of family connection. And it is created through shared experiences, through working together on shared goals that provide people with a sense of belonging, connection. And it's been talked about as the glue that holds people together. So you can think of Whanaungatanga as connection. Manakitanga, this flows from Whanaungatanga. And it's a process of showing respect, generosity, and care for others. It's the nurturing of relationships, extending aroha, love, and compassion to others. When we look at that letter from Paul to the Philippians, it's easy to see the principles of Tanga and Manakitanga at work. And if we are to hold the Church of Philippi as a bit of a benchmark for us in regards to how we're to love and support one another, Today I want to pose this question to you. To what degree have you experienced whanaungatanga, connection, and manakitanga, generosity and care, here at Central Vineyard? To what degree have you experienced whanaungatanga and manakitanga at Central Vineyard? Now I'm aware that in a group this size, there will be a number of answers to that. Some of us would have had similar experience to what we read about in Philippians, this reciprocal nature, this level of care. And some of us will have had the complete opposite. I'm aware that it will be a spectrum. And I ask this question not to get us to answer it, but for each of us to think about it. You see, from a leadership perspective, we desperately want... CV to be a community like that seen in the book of Philippians. To have a community where people feel they are a part of, where they are seen, where they are heard. That is a dream, where their needs are taken care of, where they are supported, where they are experiencing this whanaungatanga and manakitanga. We long for that. We pray for that. But it's not that easy to do, is it? So the question is, how, how do we go about doing this? How do we, as individuals, as you and me, take steps towards creating a community where Whanaungatanga and Manakitanga are evident and flourishing? Now I say we, 
because this is an us responsibility. It's very easy to think this is a leadership responsibility, and it is, but it is not just a leadership responsibility. Leadership can create pathways, we can set the tone of the culture, we can model it, but unless we, all of us here, who call Central Vineyard their home church, invest in those pathways, invest in those, and model themselves, Tanga and Manakitanga will not flourish. So, biggest question, how, how do we do this? How do we create this culture and a community where Tanga and Manakitanga can flourish, where fellowship can flourish? Well, the book of Philippians, it offers us some insights. And so today I want to talk about three, the old three-point sermon. I want to highlight three ingredients, essential ingredients that are needed in order for this to happen. So strap in. Uh, the first one is we need to <clears throat> embrace inconvenience and be willing to give. Embrace inconvenience and be willing to give. Now, in the letter to the Philippians, Epaphroditus was sent from Philippi to Paul in prison. Now, for argument's sake, let's say Paul was imprisoned in Ephesus and not Rome. It's just Ephesus. That's a 500-kilometer journey by foot, by donkey, by boat for Epaphroditus to get to uh, to get to where Paul was. It's not just whipping down the street to the dairy to pick up some milk. So Epaphroditus, he goes to Paul. Then once he arrives, he starts tending to his physical needs. He provides him with the writing material to write such letters. And he continues Paul's work of sharing the gospel. Earlier in Philippians 2, Paul says, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he is your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you, that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you'll be glad to see him, and then I will not be wor so worried about you. Welcome him, oh, sorry, welcome in the, <clears throat> the Lord's love, and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from afar. So not only did Epaphroditus, he make the journey, he gets there, he goes to work, then he almost ends up killing himself because he gets sick. I think it's fair to say that Epaphroditus went above and beyond for his friend and brother. It wasn't convenient for Epaphroditus. And there's no doubt that he had other duties and responsibilities. He most probably had a wife, he most probably had children. But nevertheless, he went, he sacrificed, and he embraced the inconvenience of it all. Sacrificing money, time, and energy. Now, I know that may seem like an extraordinary and extravagant thing to do. 
essentially putting your life on hold for someone else. And you know, in, in our culture, in this Western culture, yeah, it is. It is extravagant. But I wonder if it may not be so extravagant in God's kingdom. I wonder if it's more closer to the norm. You see, in the cultural river, river we're swimming in, generally speaking, we are time for, poor, we're focused on self, and comfort is the goal. We don't like to be inconvenienced. Imagine if at the end of the gathering today, we walked out here and someone from in here came up to you and said, oh gosh, my car just broke down and I need to get to Hamilton this afternoon. I really need to be there. I wonder how many of us would offer to drive them to Hamilton. I know I wouldn't. <laughs> I know I would be trying to search for so many other things I could do to help them get there that didn't involve me going. Could I put them on a bus? Is there someone else that I could, that we know are going that I could send them with? Now you may be a better person than me, but I know I wouldn't, and I would really struggle to give up my time to, to drive them there and back. You see, time for many of us, for me, it, it can be more valuable than money. And what do I mean by that? Well, it, it's easier for me to give someone $20 than to spend an hour of my time with them. And that's not because I miss the money bags. It's, it's just because spending time with them requires energy, requires effort. Okay, I have a sponsored child. You probably have a sponsored child too. I don't notice the $30, $40 going out of my account each month. Again, I'm not Mr. Moneybags, but $30, you can spend that in a heartbeat at the countdown, right? Okay, the money just goes out, and it's good to give money. But time, we are time poor. Our lives are busy, 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 and we, so much that we wear it like a badge of honor. You've probably done it this morning in your conversations. Like, oh, hi, Greg, how are you? Oh, you know, really busy, busy, busy. Oh, yeah, me too, flat out. You know, we have those conversations, and we wear this sort of busyness as a badge of honor as if we have, and we talk about it as if we have no control over our lives. And like as if our lives are a burden. Our culture's response to needs is often the giving of money, which is an absolute great thing. Organizations, charities, Central Vineyard, we run on the generous donations of people. The thing is though, when we look at Jesus, while he may have given money to the poor and needy, it's not actually mentioned in the Bible. However, what is mentioned is that he gave his time, his energy, his love, and his compassion to people time and time and time again. If we're to live counterculturally, it will involve us organizing our lives and schedules so that we have time, capacity, and margin for others. And if we're going to have a community with Whanaungatanga and Manakitanga thriving, then like our Bristol friends who helped us out, helped us settle into the UK, we're going to have to proactively lift our gaze off ourselves, see others, and be proactive in supporting each other and embrace the inconvenience of it all. Oh, you're also silent. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. First one, and we embrace the so first ingredient, we embrace inconvenience and be willing to give. The next one, second ingredients, ingredient, 
embrace humility and be willing to receive. Embrace humility and be willing to receive. All right, show of hands. Who here finds it easy to ask or receive help? Good, a couple. A couple. Good, because if you, if you all put up your hand, you would have blown my point, so great. We live in a society where generally we don't like to receive help, let alone ask for it. It's almost like there's a perceived weakness felt if you are in need of help. I know this to be so true for myself. I am Mr. Independent. Just ask Alicia. Hasn't caused any issues in our marriage. I'll do a job that should require two people. I'll do it by myself because I know that although it'll take longer, I'll get it done the way I want to and I won't have to listen to someone else's great ideas about how to do the job. (laughs) I'm happy to be the helper, but I'm not so stoked about being the one requiring the help. For whatever reason, pride, ego, insecurity... I really struggle to receive and ask for help. And it clears, it's clear I'm not the only one, which is good. We're in safe hands here. Uh, back in 2020, during Level 4 lockdown, we took up an offering for um, anyone who might be in need due to the effects of COVID. So we put it out to the church. We said, hey, we're going to take up an offering to pass on to people who are in need. And you lot, Central Vineyard, you gave so generously. We had $16,000 uh, in this fund we then put out the, the comms if you are in need if you need if you have lost your job if you need bills paid come let us know we're going to hand you some money to pay that almost no questions asked now in a community of around 250 to 300 people not one person came forward to, to accept that offer of help Not one. And the thing was, we knew people needed help. We knew people who were struggling with money. We knew people had lost jobs. Yet no one came forward for themselves. People did come forward, but they came forward to volunteer other people. Oh yeah, you need to go speak to Bill. He's just lost his job and can't pay his rent. That happened, but no one volunteered themselves. The same can be said for the Sophie Gray tickets. So the Sophie Gray tickets, which Ella was talking about, we've got some sponsored, some sponsored tickets because we know it's quite pricey to go to. No one's come forward and, and said, oh, I'll have a sponsored ticket. There's something inside of us that struggles to ask for help, that struggles to, to receive help. But it shouldn't be this way. Reading Philippians, you can tell that Paul so graciously received the support from the Philippians. He did not say, oh, thanks, I'll pay you back when I can. He didn't say, oh, you shouldn't have. He didn't say, oh, yeah, I'm in jail, but don't worry, I'll get myself out. He didn't. Instead, he said... This, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then travelled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. And now I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. 
At that moment, I have all. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God, who takes care of me, will supply all your needs from His glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. He so graciously accepts it. Paul knows he is part of a community that loves him. He has confidence in it, and he knows he will not have, will be he will not be seen less than by accepting their help. There's almost an expectation about it when you read it. It's what they do for each other. And we're looking at it, you can tell that Paul's been sent help more than once. He's like that one guy in the family that receives more support than anyone else. Who has a family member like that? No, just me. Okay, yeah. He's been supported time and time again by these guys. They are supporting him as his brother, a member of their whānau, and he would do the same for them. It's normal for them. This willingness to receive help and support from others is paramount for a thriving community, for whanaungatanga to thrive, for fellowship to thrive. I mentioned this before, I find this really hard. Um, it probably is a pride and ego thing. But the narrative I tell myself goes like this. It goes, Rob, you're a co-leader of Central Vineyard. You should never be in need of help. You should be the one offering help. If you need support, you have failed. I bet others on the leadership team don't need help. Or what would people think of me if they knew I needed support? Don't be so weak. Now when I say it out loud, it sounds crazy. Yet these are the quiet narratives that I whisper away in my head and eventually start to believe. The thing is though, by starting to believe them, all I end up doing is driving a wedge between myself and Central Vineyard, you, and eventually that wedge turns into a wall where I don't let people in, I take a step back and it fuels disconnection. It fuels further disconnection. Whereas if I humble myself, get over myself, realise I'm part of a whānau that love me and want the best for me, I can let them know I could do with some help and graciously receive it. And in doing so, I'm stepping towards community, I'm engaging with people and I'm combating disconnection and whanaungatanga can thrive. If we are going to experience genuine and deep relationships like Paul, we must embrace humility and be willing to receive from others. That's the second ingredient. So first one, embrace what? No, the first one, what was the first one? Embrace and be willing to give. Second, embrace humility and be willing to receive. So those are like the left and the right foot of each other. We need those two for our whanaungatanga, manakatanga to thrive. This next one, the third ingredient is the most vital. And going with my body analogy, we're going to call this the brain. All right. Without this third one, those two, uh, well, they still work, but not as effectively. Third one is this. We need to embrace community and be willing to ride the waves. I'd like to look at this one and speak to this one through more of a pastoral lens. When I was 18, I went to Japan to visit my friend Hokuto. 
he'd come over to do schooling, and then he left and I went, I went to um, go visit his homeland. Now, the, funny story, this is my first time on a plane. So I, I grew up in Cambridge, in rural Cambridge, on the farm. I was like a country bumpkin, right? Never been on a plane before in my life. So I stepped foot on this plane, going to Japan, yay, it's an 11-hour flight. As I turned on the movies, as you do, all the language was in Japanese. I just thought, oh, I guess it's because we're flying to Japan that the language is in Japanese. And I thought nothing of it. So for 10 hours of the 11-hour flight, I'm watching all these movies in Japanese. So Die Hard 3 or whatever it is, um, all with this um, in, you know, in Japanese. It wasn't until an hour before I land, I tutted with the buttons. And at those stages, it wasn't on the screen. It was down here. And I found out you could change the language. So the ride back was much more um, interesting. I was in Japan for three weeks, staying with my friend at his parents' house. Now, my friend was the only one in his family and his friend group that could speak English. His mom, his brother, girlfriend, and friends only spoke Japanese. And initially, when we were socializing, it was really hard. It was really draining to constantly be trying to work out what's going on. But over the course of the three weeks, through embracing the Japanese language and culture, socializing eventually became easier. I soon started to pick up more Japanese. I soon be able to understand it more. No way was I fluent in what, like one little bit, but I could understand more and it wasn't so bad. The same can be said for finding Fanongatanga, connection and kinship, and Manakitanga, care and generosity in the church community. In order for Fanongatanga and Manakitanga to thrive, we need to embrace the community. Or another word might be, we need to immerse ourselves in the community. If our involvement in a community is limited to turning up on a Sunday, every now and then, your experience of Fanongatanga and Manakitanga will also be limited. I'd say it's almost impossible to develop deep connection, this Fanongatanga with people in a one hour, 45 minute gathering on a Sunday even if you come every week. Now, I, I do not say this to make people feel bad. It's just the reality. And there is a time and place for being around the periphery. You know, you're trying to work out if a community is right for you, so you come, check it out. There is 100% a time and place. But eventually, you'll have to jump in the deep end. And that can be hard for a number of reasons. You see, inside all of us, we all want to be seen and known. Whether we acknowledge it or not, it's a deep desire in all of us. God made us for connection. He made us for community. It's hardwired in us. We were designed to know others and to be known. But this can only happen if we give ourselves the opportunity to do so. Excuse me. The reality is... In a church of this size, it can be hard. And this becomes more of a challenge the more we grow. When we were a church of 50, I knew everyone's name. Most people had been around to our house for lunch or dinner or something. We had hung out. When we got to 100, still knew most people's names, but it was becoming harder. Now we're at this size, I look out and I'll be lucky if I know half your names now. 
It is just a challenge of what happens when church communities grow. So what do we do when we get to a community this size? You find a community within the community. I'm going to say that again. You find a community within a community. At Central Vineyard, that might be a circle. We talk about circles all the time. It might be gratis. It might be Celebrate Recovery, CR. It might be the worship team or whatever else. But you find a group of people who you can get to know and vice versa. I'm aware that all of us would have encountered a range of different experiences from church communities. Some will have had flourishing, life-giving experiences and some would have had hard painful experiences and the reality is if you hang around long enough and embrace a community as wonderful as it is at some point you are going to get hurt the people sitting next to you will hurt you the leadership team will hurt you will do something say something not do something not say something that you'll find offensive at some point you'll be faced with a grievance because it's a community of people and people hurt people. They say hurt people hurt people. Well, no, but just people hurt people. The good news is, though, if you hang around, not only will you get hurt, but you'll hurt others. <laughs> All right? <laughs> we are all broken people, all capable of horrendous things. All in need of Jesus. So can I encourage you that when this does happen, because it will happen, ride the wave. Deal with it. Take steps towards reconciliation. Own what you need to own. Forgive what you need to forgive. If we are able to embrace the community and ride the waves, the ups and downs, we will find belonging. We will find Tanga and experience Manakitanga. When Leisha and I first got married, we, um, we had a honeymoon in Australia. Now, at least she gets quite bad motion sickness. Uh, and I knew she gets motion sickness, but I'd never been on a plane with her. So we're on this plane, all excited, going to a honeymoon, flying to Australia. Mid-flight, she's, she's a bit, you're starting to feel sick, but she also gets anxious about it. So bless her, she starts having a full-on panic attack in the plane. She starts hyperventilating to the point where the, um, to the, point where the stewardess or whatever, whatever they're called comes and offers her the, um, what's it called? Oxygen mask. Didn't want to receive help. So she's like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. She wasn't fine. They forced it on her. And then she starts saying, I got to get off, I got to get off, I got to get off. And I'm sitting there like, does she know how planes work? Like, that's the first red flag of marriage, eh? Like, are you? I gotta get off, I gotta get off. Some of us treat church communities like that. We'll get hurt or annoyed at something, then we'll react with, I gotta get out, I gotta get out, I gotta get off. So we make a rash decision to leave in the hopes of finding another church community, one that's better, one that doesn't hurt me, one that's not annoying. While I get that, I 100% get it. You have to remember that at the end of the day, People are annoying. We are so annoying, aren't we? Like some more than others. 
we are not going to find the perfect group of people who are a constant blessing to be around. It's not possible. In fact, when you look at Scripture, I'm not sure a group like that would even be the best thing for us. I can't help but think of Jesus. Now, we talk about Jesus suffering on the cross, which is true. It was horrendous. It was awful. But what about his suffering and hanging out with those disciples? Honestly. Like you think of his friend, Hothead Peter, sword always at the ready, ready to cut someone in half. The angry, the, the angry guy. Or we have John, the one who named himself the disciple who um, Jesus loves. Like, I can just imagine him sidling up next to Jesus. Oh, so you, you say you don't have favorites, but if you had to choose one. Or let's not forget Judas. This guy is in Judas is in Jesus' close circle of friends. Jesus knows he's going to betray him, send him to his death, but still allows him to be part of his group. That's next level acceptance. We, on the other, on the other hand, get frustrated if a new person joins our circle because they change the, the dynamic of the established relationships within the group. Like, uh, we laugh, but it's, we've had that said so many times. This person, oh, they're hard to get on with. Yes, they do change the dynamics, but that's a good thing. God is in the business of renewing our character and our hearts. When we engage with people who are different from us, as frustrating, as annoying as they are, this gives us the opportunity for growth and transformation. You see the same thing in marriage. Sometimes I wonder if God was having a laugh when he designed marriage. It's like, let's get a male and female physically different, think different from different families and let's put them together and make life work. I'm like, that's crazy. But it's in the difference. It's through working out these differences together where we grow and develop. We learn from each other. We make changes when needed and transformation happens. If you call Central Vineyard home, if this is a community you want to be amongst, would you consider this? I'm way behind on these slides. Oh, I'm not. How well have you positioned yourself to be known and to know others? How well have you positioned yourself in Central Vineyard to be known and to know others? Have you embraced the community and immersed yourself in it? Or are you dancing around the periphery, one foot in, one foot out? And can I encourage you, if you are on the periphery, step in. Yes, there's potential for hurt. Yes, there's potential for harm and pain. But there's also potential for so much beauty and connection that can be life-changing. Just like it was for Leisha and I back in Bristol. It was absolutely life-changing. And if you're sitting here and CV isn't the community for you, that is all good. Go find one that is. We bless you to do so. Go find that community. One that you can embrace. One that you can experience this whanaungatanga and manakitanga. To finish with, I want to leave you with this image. A couple of them. This is a photo of a grove of kahikatea trees. 
In Māori culture, there is a whakatauki or a proverb that says, Kia uru, kahikatia, te tu. And its literal meaning is to stand as a grove of kahikatia. The kahikatea tree is typically the tallest tree in the forest and grows in groves with others. And it's unique in that its root structure does not primarily grow below the ground, but rather across the forest floor to connect and intermingle with other kahikatea trees. It's in this intermingling of roots that makes it amongst the strongest and most resilient of native trees within New Zealand's forests. Kahikatea trees are extremely difficult to fell because they are supported by the intertwined root structure of another kahikatea. Furthermore, kahikatea trees grow taller when they are surrounded by other kahikatea trees rather than being, being alone. This is a beautiful picture of Whanaungatanga. And my prayer is that as a people of CV, together we would stand as a grove of kahikatea trees, where our lives will be intertwined with one another, providing strength, support, and stability to one another. Would you, Etu, would you stand with me? Lord, we, we thank you that you, you designed us for connection. Lord, we thank you, you made us in your image. And so like you, you designed us for connection. Lord, we acknowledge that um, it is hard at times to connect with others. This is no easy task. So Lord, we ask that you would help us do this. Would you help us to see other people? Would you help us to give to others? Would you help us to embrace humility and receive from others? Father, would you, would you help us find Whanaungatanga and Manaakitanga in Central Vineyard? Lord, as we leave from here, would you, would you, would you speak to us? Would you show us where we, where the things we need to change, the people we need to accept? Would you open our eyes and ears to hear you, and to receive from you? In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. That's us, team. Remember, there's no gathering next Sunday, but there is a prayer and worship night at Community Hall. The events are on the page. And parents, you need to go and collect your kids from the uh, kids' church. Thank you.